Digida podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I am senior media editor at Digida. And I'm Keely Barber, media editor at Digida. All right. So, Kaylee, you had the interview this week and you spoke with Lisa Uchneider, who is the CEO of Integral Ad Science. Um, a lot of people may be familiar with Integral Ad Science for the work that they've done on the web. Um, when it comes to ad verification, but like every ad tech company these days, IS is pushing more into CTV. Is that right? Yeah. So we spend the first, I'd say, you know, half of the interview talking about their acquisition of Publica, uh, which is in the CTV space, um, and really about the reasons for getting into this space. So uh, Lisa was very, well, excited, naturally, as uh, someone who had, you know, spearheaded this acquisition. Um, But she was excited about what this kind of does for bridging, um, you know, IAS with uh, Publica and uh, the pathway it gives um, its clients. Like there's a, a, a larger funnel that is formed through this acquisition. And we talked about, you know, how having the sales side of it with the, uh, you know, brand safety and, uh, and like, um, measurement side of it, how those, you know, work together, um, for the clients that they have in their, on on both sides of the company. Um, so we do talk about that quite a bit. She gets into like the reasons why CTV is interesting and how it kind of dovetails together. Um, but yeah, that, that is just one of actually a few different acquisitions that the company has been, uh, focusing on the past couple of years. Okay. And you mentioned how with the public acquisition, they're getting into the sales side. And so, Historically, IAS has kind of been that referee or auditor um, uh, on the verification measurement side of things. And now they're in the game um, and being involved in sales. Isn't that something of a conflict of interest? Yeah. So I did ask Lisa that. She explains it, um, you know, in the interview. It it does on paper seem a little like there's this conflict of interest um, and that maybe it's something that clients wouldn't be super fond of. Um, She kind of explains it in a way it's like both companies have built years worth of trust individually and together ahead of this acquisition. There was an 18-month period where they just worked together side by side um, to try and see how this, uh, you know, merger would work and how it would appear. Um, And I think by doing that, they were able to really integrate trust that they could work together without there being that conflict of interest into the people that they work with. Um, So that's how she kind of talks about it and gets into it. I'll let her speak more eloquently to that. But yeah, it is something to consider when you see some of these, you know, tech murders, ad murders recently. Um, You know, definitely something to keep an eye on in the industry. Leave it there. Thanks, Kayla. Thanks, Tim. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It's great to speak with you again. Hi, Kaylee. Uh, thank you for having me on. I would love to start out um, talking about last year and some of the you know, bigger changes that were made at IAS. Um, you acquired Publica, uh, I believe that was last August, for about $220 million. Um, and I want to talk about like the methodology behind that acquisition to start off with, because I think it illustrates a very interesting change in um, in your typical business approach. So as a company that traditionally works in the verification and brand safety area for advertisers, what made you want to get involved in the like CTV ad sales space? Why get involved with publishers to help them sell their inventory? Sure. Uh, happy to talk about uh, the Publica acquisition, but Kaylee, 
I actually think we should step back a bit further into 2021. Uh, so IS, we actually took the company public, uh, which was an incredible milestone for the company, for our shareholders, for our employees. Uh, and it was a very proud moment for me, too, uh, to be able to lead that IPO. Uh, and coming out of that IPO, we then announced about uh, two to three months later that we acquired Publica, which was a, an incredibly exciting strategic acquisition for us. Uh, we've actually had three acquisitions in 2021. Publica was the second one we made. And a couple of reasons why Publica uh, is just an incredible asset uh, for IES and for both our marketer and publisher customers. Uh, so one formula we've had that's been very successful with our acquisitions is we typically partner with the company before we acquire them. And we have partnered with Publica for about 18 months uh, before the acquisition. And the reason why we like that formula is we can do the tech diligence, we get a really good feel for the senior leadership team, for the caliber of the engineering talent. And also, when we got under the hood of Publica, what we discovered was just an incredible asset. So Publica is a global leading CTV uh, platform. And what I mean by that is it's deep in programmatic CTV. Publica has deep, deep partnerships with some of the leading uh, video publishers. Think of video publishers like Samsung, uh, Philo, uh, Viacom, CBS. So they have deep integrations on the publisher side, deep publisher business. They also have deep integrations uh, with SSPs, over 35 SSPs. Uh, they also have a video ad server. And so what that means is it gives IAS access to massive amounts of programmatic CTV inventory. And as we all know, I like to call CTV, it's the first inning of a long game. Uh, CTV, especially during the pandemic, has seen tremendous growth, uh, engagement by users. We no longer talk about cutting the cord. I know in my house, my girls, they don't even know what linear TV is or what a cord is. As more and more users are viewing CTV and stream content, that's where the marketers want to go, is where the users are. So thrilled about the acquisition, heads down, uh, building out an integrated roadmap, and we're already executing against that roadmap. Going back to um, your IPO and going public, um, just, I guess, for the listeners, when did that ex like officially take place? Sure. So uh, we took the company public at the end of June, uh, June 30th. And again, it was a huge milestone for IAS. Uh, we actually got that IPO done in about seven months, which was a compressed, rapid timeline. And again, I'm just so incredibly proud of the team and the fact that uh, we did have a successful IPO. It's a testament to uh, the verification business and the need for uh, third-party verification companies verifying the quality of digital media for the leading uh, Fortune 500 marketers. 
So you also mentioned three acquisitions happened last year. Um, was the IPO at all, you know, tied to, you know, a special purpose acquisition company or anything like that? Like, was the goal of uh, going public to raise money to do some of these acquisitions or did that just kind of follow in step? No, it was not um, part of a SPAC, what you're referring to. And uh, our first acquisition was actually a company called Amino, uh, and we acquired that company in early 2021. Got it. Got it. Right before. Great. So I guess, you know, going back into like the focus of, of CTV ad sales, because I, I think that is like a really, to your point, a very popular area right now. Um, there's a lot of money being spent in that space. Uh, I'm curious, you know, what the exact role is between the combined company of IAS and Publica um, when you are working with both advertisers, but then also the the publishers that are, you know, using Publica for their um, CTV ad space. Like what's the kind of new company um, role in those relationships? Sure. Happy to answer that. So one of our company values at IAS is we are customer obsessed. We start with the customer and we work backwards. And I personally spend a lot of time with marketers, and I'm also spending a lot of time with publishers and video publishers in particular. And when you listen to marketers and publishers and talk to them about their investments in CTV and buying more CTV inventory, and why are they hesitating? What will it take for them to shift more of their linear TV dollars over into programmatic CTV? They provide a couple of answers. Marketers say they want greater transparency, similar to linear TV. They want to understand where did my ad run? Which channel, right? Which app, which device, how did it perform? You know, pretty basic stuff. And when we listen and talk to publishers, what are they looking for to improve the marketer engagement, improve the user experience? We hear feedback like frequency capping of the ad, right? So I know in our house here, I hear it sometimes from my girls that they see the same ad over and over. Like we've all experienced that uh, while watching stream content. So what's incredibly exciting about leveraging IES's deep assets, we're heavy on the buy side, the advertiser side, we're verifying if digital ads were viewed, viewed by human, ran adjacent to brand safe, brand suitable content. You leverage that data, plus you leverage Publica's deep programmatic CTV data on the publisher side. You bring those data sets together and guess what? We can start solving some of those needs that we hear directly from our customers. So the one thing we're starting to take a look at is providing better transparency for marketers when they purchase programmatic CTV inventory. Um, and again, it's the first inning of a long game, but we're just so excited both about the acquisition and the team that came over from Publica and what it means for the entire CTV ecosystem. Right. And 
my uh, co-host, Tim Peterson, he does a lot of reporting around some of the, um, I guess, transparency tools and, and, you know, monitoring ads in the CTV space. Um, you know, he posted uh, a video recently that kind of explains ad ID and things like automatic content um, recognition and, and things like that, that, you know, further dive into um monitoring what's being shown to a household. And and so you avoid those things like, you know, people not watching or um, seeing the same ad for, you know, a, a tire company a thousand times, you know, the jingles get stuck in your head and then you're just in a loop. But I'm, I'm curious, like how some of those tools, things like um, uh, ad ID or, um, you know, making sure that the repetitive nature of ads, like how is that factored into this? Like, are there things that you still have to invest in from like a a tech stack standpoint that you weren't already doing? Or is there like a big initiative around um, this year to continue modifying like some of those tools? Great question. So uh, we can't, I can't disclose too much about our future roadmap, but we are um, looking at innovative ways to address the frequency um, issue that you had just described within CTV. Uh, so when we're ready to share more about how we're going to address that, I'm happy to come back on and share that with you. Gotcha. Yeah, I know that that's uh, an area that a lot of people are kind of tackling currently. Um, okay, so I think another question I have um, for this combination between IAS and Publica, there's a lot of opportunities to your point to offer transparency and making, you know, very clean ad buys. Um, I guess I'm also curious if there's been any kind of like feedback from clients about concerns around maintaining verification standards um, or things that are, you know, have the potential to get muddled when you're combining both the ad sales side and the, you know, brand safety side, for instance. Um, you know, how are you kind of approaching that end of things? And have you had any, you know, pushback from either clients or, or publishers about, um, you know, how close those two businesses have the potential of operating? So uh, trust is paramount in our role as a third-party verification company. We've been around for over 10 years and we've built such deep, trusted, loyal partnerships with our customers, right? We have over 2,000 advertiser customers uh, around the world. And uh, when we made the acquisition, we were very mindful of that and ensuring that our role as leading third-party verification company, we maintain that trust that we have built over many years while leveraging the assets that we acquired with Publica. And again, listening to customers, listening to what they need um, and leveraging these assets for their benefit. What's interesting about the question that you asked is I never hear concerns. I never. And I think it is because of the trust that IAS has built over many years. Uh, accountability is one of our company values and what we say we're going to do, we do. Uh, and then on the Publica side, I have to say I've been making the rounds with video publishers. They're cheering wildly that IAS acquired Publica. Publica has an incredible, a stellar reputation 
in the marketplace. They also deliver what they say they're going to deliver. And, um, you know, both on the buy side and the sell side, everyone's huddled talking about, okay, what are some of those big problems that you face and how can we problem solve on your behalf? That's what the conversation is. It's, I really, we don't hear concerns from either side. Got it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, just having that longstanding relationship on both ends, I'm sure helps quite a bit. Um, I'm also wondering like how close those teams work together because you have kind of like a uh, a large chunk of the funnel covered now um, with that like buying process. Um, you know, how collaborative are the two, you know, sides of the business, the or the two sides of these companies in particular, IAS and Publica? Uh, extremely collaborative. So as I mentioned before, we had partnered with Publica for 18 months. So, you know, a very healthy working relationship. Uh, the tech and product teams totally in sync, uh, really strong leadership team. Also, the other thing, you know, I grew up in technology, not ad tech, tech. So worked at leading global companies like Amazon and Microsoft. And working in those companies, I've learned a lot through the years about what it takes uh, to ensure that once you make an acquisition, the integration and how you carefully integrate that company, both the, the employees, the technology, being really thoughtful about that integration. And I'm a huge believer that we have as much to learn from Publica as they do from us. And, uh, and then the other thing, I do a lot of pulse checks and reach out to uh, employees and employees who have just uh, joined the company over the last few months. And Again, I'm very proud of how the teams are working together as one team. Got it. Um, how large is your company now, like with all the acquisitions, um, you know, included? How how big is the team that you're overseeing now? Well, we typically don't disclose the exact number of the company size, uh, but 800 employees, over 800. Oh, wow. Yeah, sizable for sure. And then I'm wondering, so it's been about, six months again from this Publica acquisition. Um, I'm curious, like, has there been any impact that you can already kind of identify in revenue from from the advertisers that you work with on IAS side? Like, has there been more clients coming in um, to work with you now as a result of this acquisition? Or have you noticed any uh, declines at all? Yeah, the way I would answer that question is... Um I would just say because there's so much interest in CTV, both publishers and marketers, uh, and there's so much green space ahead. And also, like some of those challenges I had cited before, marketers and publishers, they're cheering for us to solve some of these problems. So the engagement continues to be really strong. Uh, we continue to meet with publishers and marketers looking for uh, additional feedback on what they need. Uh, so I would just say overall increased engagement. Also, it's just incredibly exciting that with this acquisition, it brought forth this huge, uh, deeply integrated uh, strategic platform uh, with leading video publishers. Got it. So 
it sounds like with increased engagement, could be assumed maybe that there's been a positive impact on revenue? Yeah, I can't speak to the revenue right now. We're in our quiet period, but the increased engagement with uh, publishers and marketers, I can confirm. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. So I also want to talk about like some of the the clients that you had mentioned, um, the publisher clients specifically in the CTV space. Um, I guess like, so you mentioned a couple of big ones like Viacom, CBS, I believe Fox is also on that list um, and Tubi. Uh, so I guess what is, you know, specifically appealing for IAS to get access to some of those publishers that, um, you know, I imagine that with working with Publica for 18 months ahead of the acquisition, you've built some sort of relationship with the clients that they've had. Um, but I'm curious, like, you know, have you been able to work closely or more closely with some of these bigger um, entities or how does, how does your relationship with those publisher clients change? So um, as I mentioned before, we're looking for ways, innovative ways to leverage our data sets, both uh, with IES and Publica for the benefit of our joint customers. So if we're able to leverage the data set to help the Samsungs of the world better optimize their programmatic inventory, um, drive greater ROI with their programmatic inventory. Uh, I would argue create a better user experience with the users who are um, tapping into the Samsung platform. It's a win-win for Samsung, for the marketers, and for the users. Have you, I guess, been able to retain some of those larger clients, um, you know, post-acquisition uh, with, I guess, like on the publisher side specifically? Have you renewed since then? Or I guess, are those conversations still upcoming? Yeah. So the engagement with the video publishers remains really strong post-acquisition. I guess, like, how are you looking to extend maybe the the partners that you have on the publica side? Like, are you focused on... Um, are you focused on, I guess, increasing the same kind of cohort of publishers that you work with? Are you looking to extend out beyond like publishers themselves and more, you know, video uh, production outside of like media? I'm I'm curious, like, if you're if you have diversification um, goals in mind when it comes to these new uh, this new business or, or the new businesses that you have acquired recently. Well. Sure. Um, You know, there are other areas of IES I could talk about where we could, over time, leverage some of these uh, incredible products that we've launched for the benefit of marketers, whether they're running on CTV or not. So uh, programmatic has been a big growth driver for IES, especially over the last two years. And a product that we launched, Context Control, actually, it's almost two years ago, uh, March of 2020, in the height of COVID, when marketers were looking for sophisticated solutions in that 24-7 COVID news cycle, uh, you know, where were the brand-safe, brand-suitable environments where they could run their brand? So since running con- launching Context Control, uh, we have built an incredibly robust contextual targeting a solution for marketers. Uh, this is within the DSPs programmatically, where we, with an acquisition actually at the end of 2019, 
we can classify content based on the semantic of the content. Think our tech crawls the page and classifies the content based on the meaning of the page, but also the emotion of the page. So our tech can classify content based on things like love or hate. That's very meaningful for marketers that we have tech that can classify something like hate speech. So since launching that product, um, it has really accelerated and we've seen incredible adoption rate uh, and marketers, they continue to adopt the product, both in terms of uh, identifying the content like hate speech that they want to avoid, but also the content that they want to pursue and is suitable uh, for their brand. So if you think about the hundreds and hundreds of contextual segments that we have built out and how in the future we could leverage those contextual segments in other areas of the digital ecosystem, it's incredibly exciting. The second area uh, where we see just tremendous opportunity in addition to connected TV, uh, contextual targeting in programmatic uh, is within social platforms and the live feeds in particular in social platforms. So last year we built uh, a technology where we can classify image, audio, and text within the live feed of a social platform. Before last, and we launched a product in TikTok first. And before last year, none of the major social platforms uh, had opened up their live feed to third-party uh, players. And now uh, IAS has launched this classification product. Uh, we're running it in TikTok in three markets, currently running it, U.S., uh, U.K., no, U.S., Germany, and France, uh, uh, with 50 advertisers and plans to expand that product as a post-bid product uh, this year. We're also looking to work, this was shared publicly with Twitter, uh, in building out a brand safety suitability solution for Twitter. Uh, and then the third platform that everyone asks about is Meta, and Meta, at the end of last year, had publicly posted that uh, they're looking to open up the live news feed of Meta with some third-party verification uh, companies and stated that they would start an RFP process. So this whole area of uh, creating brand safety, brand suitability solutions for marketers within the live feed of social platforms has incredible runway and opportunity. It's an area where we consistently hear from marketers that they are looking for uh, innovative solutions. Uh, they're cheering for IAS that we continue to innovate and launch these products for them. Yeah, lots of questions from that. Um, sure. To start with, the, I think, the live video um, on social. So as we saw this past, you know, two years now, a lot of um, focus had been on virtual events and, you know, a lot of publishers I was covering were doing, um, you know, uh, live streams as part of their virtual um, offerings on Instagram, I think was a big one, TikTok you mentioned um, as well. I'm curious, like, what the response response rate is. So like those things can go off the rails very quickly, right? Like especially I think on TikTok, um, people are a lot more comfortable in that space. You know, when you're, you're 
tech is added on to that layer. I guess, to what extent are you, because I imagine it's focused on brand safety to a degree, like that's the main focus of it. Like, at what point do you say to your client, like, hey, you know, this is um, taking a weird turn. Maybe you want to, um, you know, stop it or something like that. Like, how does it operate? I'm curious, like, what the operational part of it is. Happy to answer that. So um, there's an industry association called GARM. I don't know if you're familiar with GARM, but GARM has created uh, a standardized definition for 11 categories when it comes to brand safety. And the reason why it's important to have standardized categories is what it means is there's a baseline definition of hate speech right? Or a baseline definition of adult. And what that means is if a marketer is relying on our brand safety suitability solutions or another player's brand safety suitability solutions, and they can know that if these solutions are built to the GARM standards, that it's not different flavors, right? It's a standardized taxonomy across the digital ecosystem with for example, um, hate speech defined uh, consistently. So the way it works is with that, there will there could be a marketer, uh, let's call the marketer, I don't know, L'Oreal, who says, I, I never want a L'Oreal brand adjacent to hate speech. I don't think they ever would. And um, they just want to rest assured before they invest in digital advertising within the live feed of a social platform, highly dynamic, massive amounts of volumes, user-generated, unpredictable, they just want to know my L'Oreal brand will always run adjacent to brand-safe, brand-suitable content and would never run adjacent to something like hate speech. So that's how it works. It's more based on this, this standardized taxonomy and the definitions, and then the marketer determining what is their threshold for tolerance against those different categories. I imagine that since that's launched, I think you mentioned at the beginning of the pandemic or right right ahead of that, um, I imagine it's been a very popular tool for people to access. Correct. So it's two different products, to be clear. Contextual targeting in programmatic, that launched March of 2020. The live feeds of social platforms was the back half of 2021. Okay. So that's that's more recent. Okay. Correct. Um, yeah. So I guess like in this coming or this current year, we're at the beginning of 2022, um, a time of recording. I imagine... I guess, have you had a lot of inquiries into this? Like, in it, is it all, like, marketers that are asking for this? Or do you even have, like, you know, publishers coming to you saying, like, hey, this would be a really helpful thing for us as we build out, you know, live streams and things like that? I'm curious, like, if it's a tool that's, you know, being used across the, the aisle, so to speak. Uh, yeah, so primarily the interest and demand comes from the marketers. Again, the marketers want to go where the users go where the users are engaged in spending their time. And when you take a look at third-party data in terms of user engagement, where users are spending their time, it's CTV and it's social platforms, particularly as we're all working remote, 
We're all living home. We're doing everything at home. That's where users have spent their time, especially over the last two years. Social platform engagement's up. CTV engagement's up. So with that, marketers know that social platforms, that's where users are spending a lot of time. Also, younger generations, and they want to connect with those users. But they want to just know that when they run their digital brands within the live feeds, that again, it's brand safe, brand suitable environments. Right. Got it. Got it. Um, talking about contextual for a, uh, for a minute here. So I believe today Google announced that they were launching a new um, uh, a new initiative in their privacy sandbox called Topics, which I believe is kind of rooted in more contextual based data and contextual based targeting, um, which I think further solidifies contextual as being a, you know, a very probable solution for the death of the third party cookie and all of that. But I'm curious, you know, to what extent that uh, move from Google, you know, reiterates that there needs to be an evolution of contextual targeting from all the people who want to tap into that going forward. So I know you have this um, contextual targeting tool that you've, to your point, as you mentioned earlier, was launched at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, you have time to hone it, but like, what has kind of uh, shown itself as being a possible privacy risk for contextual targeting? Like, has there been anything that has been illuminated um, during your, you know, almost two years of testing contextual, you know, targeting that, um, you know, needs to still be improved? For instance, like, what are some of the things that have been flagged um, in that time period? I would say uh, there are a few things. There's absolutely the shift from away from cookie-based solutions to cookie-less solutions. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, this shift to the cookie-less world has been a tailwind for IES's business. No question about that. Uh, and the fact that we have this incredibly robust, sophisticated contextual targeting technology has also been a tailwind for our business. What I've, what we've seen with marketers is um, they just don't want to block content with a blunt instrument, right? They, they want more sophisticated tools. And we saw that two years ago when we launched our product, 24-7 COVID news cycle, and the marketers didn't want to block everything related to COVID, they just want to understand, okay, what types of COVID content, you know, am I comfortable running my ad next to stories about hero workers, right? Healthcare workers, uh, relevant information about pandemics? Yes. So that's what we've seen. The ongoing trend is marketers are getting much more sophisticated and educated about their contextual strategies. They're leaning into sophisticated contextual solutions um, and they're hungry for more, right? And they're leaning away from audience-based targeting. And the beauty of it with IS is we, don't, we process a lot of data every day. It's all about the where and the what. It's not about the who. We don't touch audience-based data. Got it. Got it. So I'm also wondering, like, do you think there is a commonly held definition of contextual data. I, I know you mentioned earlier that emotion is a big, you know, component of that. But I'm curious, like, as 
publishers, marketers, um, you know, people across the advertising space lean more on to contextual data. Um, does that definition get muddled because some people might consider, you know, certain wordings okay, but others might say like we don't want anything to do with COVID, for example. Um, you know, how does that definition kind of get changed? I guess as as more people lean on contextual data. I would. So the way I think about it, it's less about the nuanced uh, variations of the definition of contextual. At the end of the day, marketers want to engage with consumers. They want to engage with their consumers, with their brands and their messaging and delivering ROI. And they want to do it in a brand safe and brand suitable environment. Right. That's what they want is they want to hit their ROIs, whatever those ROIs might be. And they want to rest assured that their digital ads across the entire ecosystem, any app, any device, any platform, um, that it's a brand safe and brand suitable environment. And they are running high quality media. That's what they ultimately care about. Uh, and they want to be careful that they're not leaning into consumer PII data or audience-based data. And so with contextual, whatever sophisticated solutions that are out there, they're helping marketers achieve their goals. The marketers will lean in. When you say audience-based data, is that including first-party data from publishers themselves, or is it purely just leaning on like cookies and third-party cookies? Uh, I would consider any data uh, that's tied to a consumer's PII data is audience-based data. Got it. Okay. Um, looking at the cookie apocalypse, like we've talked about this before um, around our Mexico session, but in the kind of lead up to this being the final year of, supposedly this being the final year of having third-party cookies available um, for marketers to lean on, um, what are some moves that you would suggest any final kind of players that are dependent on that space make during this time. I am. I know that there's a lot that probably should be happening, but I'm curious, like, if you had a piece of advice for those who are still, you know, trying to figure out what the path forward is after the cookie goes away. What would you suggest as you know being something that needs to happen this year? Uh, I would say a few things. I would say, you know, the marketers who are well ahead of this, they have been planning for a long time. Right. So even though Google moved out the deadline, they've been shifting away from cookie based solutions. So that's the first thing is get your game plan in order. Um, and then the second thing is, is as we were talking about before, is not all contextual solutions are equal. Right. That make sure you do your homework and get better educated on the sophisticated contextual solutions that are out there. Um, and the clearer a marketer can be on what ultimately their goals are, um, what are, in addition to that, the brand safety, brand suitability, what their strategy is, uh, and again, planning early and shifting quickly away from audience-based targeting solutions. Got it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us on the podcast today. It's always great talking to you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. 
And thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode.